0: everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant? Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay, a.k.a. Dave Clay. I'm not sure you've ever paid attention or noticed, and why would you, except for the sake of the podcast, and this is the intro. I go to sporting events. If you get there before the game starts or on time, you have to have a ticket. And usually the ticket costs something. There is a price for admission. And once you get your seat and the game proceeds, you look around and most people have shown up on time, supposing that they'd want to see the whole game. But I did discover once, and it's proven itself several times thereafter, that if you come about halfway through or even so toward the end of the game, they're not taking tickets anymore. (laughs) You can walk right in. Now, depending on whether or not you're, I suppose, a diehard, as they say, fan and would want to see the game from the beginning to the end, uh, or... (laughs) Maybe even you're one of those individuals that has discovered this and really doesn't want to pay admission. Uh, after all, <laughs> for, for the best games, it's usually the end of the game and then only because there's still a contest to uh, sort of be won. Uh, and why wouldn't you wait if you would get a chance to see a fantastic game and an end, and you didn't have to pay, and you could still be part of the celebration. And I'm not sure what this is going. You just don't want to pay. But it is true, there is no admission without some sort of price to be paid. But I suppose that you could say, though, if the right one has paid the price... Then maybe you could borrow some cred from that individual, uh, or maybe it is just that you've your sacrifice. What the cost is is that you didn't get to see it from the beginning to the end. You only get to inherit the final portion. I'm going to go to First Kings, and with that, chapter twenty, and with that, verse thirty-one. And his servant said unto him, Behold, now we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us, I pray thee, put sackcloth on our loins and ropes upon our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will save thy life. So they girded sackcloth on their loins and put ropes on their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, Thy servant. Benadad saith, I pray thee, let me live. And he said, Is he yet alive? He is my brother. Now the men did diligently observe whether anything would come from him and did hastily catch it. And they said, Thy brother, Benadad. Then he said, Go ye, bring him. Then Benadad came forth to him, And he caused him to come up into the chariot. And Benadad said unto him, The cities which my father took from thy father I will restore, and thou shalt make streets for thee in Damascus, as my father made in Samaria. Then said Ahab, I will send thee away with this covenant. So he made a covenant with him and sent him away. And a certain man of the sons of the prophets said unto his neighbor, In the word of the Lord, smite me, I pray thee. And the man refused to smite him. Then said he unto him, Because thou hast not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as thou art departed from me, a lion shall slay thee. And as soon as he was departed from him, a lion found him and slew him. Then he found another man and said, Smite me, I pray thee. And the man smote him, so that in smiting he wounded him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way and disguised himself with ashes upon his face. And as the king passed by, he cried unto the king and said, And he said, Thy servant went out into the midst of the battle. And behold, a man turned aside And brought a man unto me, and said, Keep this man, if by any means he be missing, then shall thy life be for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. And as thy servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And the king of Israel said unto him, So shall thy judgment be, thyself hast decided it. And he hasted and took the ashes away from his face. And the king of Israel recognized him, that he was a prophet. He was of the prophets. And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore thy life shall go for his life, and thy people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house, resentful and displeased, and came to Samaria. This passage of Scripture is right in the middle of another conflict. And why should that surprise us? It's in the Old Testament. It's in Kings, 1 Kings. It's concerning Ahab, Benadad. Benadad was the king of Syria. And he had come against the Samaritans or Samaria. And with that, then God had promised to Ahab through a word of prophecy, that he would have the victory, but that Benadad would come back around, or the Assyrians would come back around a year later and try it again. And here we go. They're trying it again. And to some extent, Ahab may or may not have respected Benadad. He had gotten that from the prophet, thus saith the Lord, uh, initially, when the first skirmish occurred, in the way that God was proving that he is God and that no foe or no <laughs> enemy could have victory, not only over God's people here in Israel, but definitely God. And God is not subject to any man or any kingdom. And those who come against God and his word, uh, they're going to learn pretty fast, very quickly. They will not have the victory. But God, being a fair and righteous God, would send someone, perchance, to advise. If you don't stop this, you're going up against God. God and then in any manner, way, shape, form, literally so, that God would want to manifest himself so as to bring about immaterial dimension, to bring about his will, (laughs) and what would his will be? That there is but one way, and that is God's way. And in that one spirit, one God, And so, if you're not of the right spirit, you're not doing it then the right way, you're not going to have victory. Was this a test for Ahab then, simply because he knew he was not going to, or at least he thought he was not going to, uh, Benadad was not going to have the victory over Israel, again, because of what previously had happened, um, Possibly so, but Ahab had also been told even for the second time that the victory would be Israel for the same reason, that God would prove himself to be God, mightier. Not for Ahab's sake, possibly for Israel because they were children of God or the chosen ones of God in that context, the child of God. We're all children of God. But in that context, Old Testament context, as within the Hebrew people and the covenant that God made with Abraham, and this is then extended, and though we're speaking of Israel, not Judah, there was indeed a imperative that this represented, that this was a continuance of not only the conflicts that plagued Israel and Judah, but that being a child of God, if God still were merciful and and in his judgments, albeit righteous, would nonetheless, again, offer up not only warnings, but chances at redemption for the sake of forgiveness, then Israel was possibly, (laughs) on God's, should I say it, as not minimizing, but in a more kind of common way, on God's last nerve. And this was about as far as it would go, and as we would all be aware, it was. And Israel was soon to fall prey, Ahab being the worst king that there has ever been or had ever been up to that point. And uh, the Bible says that. So, Ahab was possibly approaching this with right motive. I don't think so. There was a sense of false confidence, if only because he knew God was on his side, but he wasn't doing anything in any manner, way, shape, or form to endear himself to God. How do we know? Because though Benadad had asked for forgiveness, king of Syria, Ahab granted him that grace and mercy. (laughs) There was no real cost to Ahab. If anything, he was just riding on God's coattails. And in that same sort of a way, anything that he was successful at in the way of preserving Israel or for the sake of the preservation and sanctification of Israel was only because... God had a plan and the plan was not to kill us, not to destroy us, nor let our enemies or adversaries kill us or destroy us. But to do that in the right measure and way, there was still going to be a price paid. (laughs) And what was that price? It could not be for Ahab. It could not be for his house It could not be then even so Ahab for the sake of selfishness his house pretending like he was really doing this for the people and that's exactly what had happened between the first skirmish and then this second one with Syria and with that then the idea that Ahab had been forewarned or told Abinadad. Had actually or ben haddad had come to had messengers sit to come to Ahab and said uh, we 're going to take everything your gold and silver and Ahab said, "Of course we 're brothers." And I think that was more political. It was probably a deceiving sort of thing. It's probably a bit of a lie, again, for all that I have said heretofore on the podcast today. I don't think Ahab really meant that. I think it was possibly trying to set up either Benadad or in some ways politically resolve the conflict. Uh, But when benadad said i'm not only going to take your gold and silver but i'm going to send these folks your way and come to your house they're going to take your wives and your gold and silver specifically ahab had gone to the people and said what should we do and had said i told them that he could have our my stuff or our stuff and with that possibly they too in that same sort of spirit we're looking at this as well we could possibly get out of this without really any cost god's on our side all we've got to do is sort of trick them In some way, they're falling into the hands of a terrible mighty God with justice and righteousness established in him for the sake of establishing or reestablishing not only his promise that he had made to Abraham the covenant initially that secured the Hebrew people because God does not break his promises But you don't get into the game without paying a price. Even if you try to come halfway through, and certainly if you're not willing to do the first ordered thing, why would you then expect to receive the inheritance of a second ordered thing simply because God made a promise and he's not going to break it? And what is that promise? That God is not going to kill us. He is going to save us. Do we deserve to die? Yes. Why? Because of human iniquity and sin. But at the same time, though, God had no intentions of destroying us. Our soul would there be, therein be secured because Jesus was going to come along. He's not there yet. But in a prophetic sort of way, God was still going to warn and still going to then even show and in that then test the real motives of not only Ahab, who again was the worst king ever that the Hebrew people or the Israelites had, but at the same time though, he wanted to find out. And really, if anything, Ahab was going to pass judgment against himself by revealing his true colors. And so the prophet and the lion of the tribe of Judah, <laughs> the lion of Judah, it shows up again. He shows up again. And I'm going to go back to verse 35. And a certain man of the sons of the prophets said unto his neighbor, In the word of the Lord, smite me, I pray thee. And the man refused to smite him. This is before Jesus. It is with great liberty and possibly then peril that I would even begin to speculate, especially such the comparison of any of this to the Christ to come. Except to say you don't get into the game without paying the price. And why would that be? Not because God requires, in some transactional way, a price be paid, but so that you would, He would, you would, not only He, you would know your motive was the best. Then what is it to pay the price transactionally? Well, it's a lot of pain. Ahab could have given up his gold and silver He could have given up his wives I don't think he was all that concerned about The people, Israel And maybe that's also what Is sort of context or backdrop to All this I think Ahab was quite ready to give up the people And their gold and silver Because I think he knew That in the end Benadad would have probably done the same thing For him That he did for Benadad And that is preserve the king The politicians, the presidents, the kings will always be saved. It's the people that will be sacrificed. Because it's all a selfish motive. And amongst thieves, there is no honor. And when you get to that point that Ahab was a thief, thievery, he did not rightly either deserve, earn, the title of king it was mostly conferred and then not for him but once more for the Israelites as part of the Abrahamic covenant that God made it was all sort of political he manipulated the resources he was lying cheating and stealing but he was no better than Benadad And when it only came, and only when it came to him giving up something personally, did he change his tune? Did he begin to say all the right things? But when you think about that, the only thing that really could prove, not transactionally, that we really love God, is to lay all that aside, even should it be then, in material terms, our own life. And I do think that's Jesus. (laughs) Is it in this context then the sons of the prophet, a certain man of the sons of the prophets? I don't think so. Because Jesus had yet to come and Jesus is the fulfillment of that, the finishing of that. Is this person the man of God? No, I don't think so. Is he the same man of God (laughs) that we read about and discussed in the last podcast? I don't think so. Not in material terms, but I think in spirit, it is. It is, it is. Because in spirit, Jesus in material manifestation is all of this. It is not only the mind of God, the mind of Christ, but as we declared in the last podcast, It is the heart of God to show grace and mercy. Go to the mountaintop Sinai with Moses as God revealed the glory of the Lord. And what was God's glory? That Not only was he a God of judgment and righteousness, which meant he could proclaim death to all of those that otherwise would not be doing this out of the right motive. The Holy Spirit, and what is the Holy Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit being love, the unconditional, perfect love of God, complete, to forgive, even if it costs himself to forgive. But that's not what Ahab was about. That's not what Benadad was about. David was a man after God's own heart, but it didn't say he possessed God's own heart. Only Jesus had the heart of God in that way because he was God. But all of this is then a demonstration, some manifestation, some evidence of what it is to be a man of God, the sons of the prophets. It's A generational thing only because we live in time. God doesn't but God gave us time so we get the message. We could gain the insight. We could heed the warnings. We could change our attitudes, our ways. We could see the liars, cheats, and thieves, the kings, the princes, all of those, the presidents, Politburo, the politician, the bureaucrat, the mayors, the governors, all of those that say, oh, well, if the people have to be sacrificed, we'll do it because it's a noble purpose or goal, highest order of things. But when it comes to them, they're not going to do that. Why? Because they're not a legitimate king. Why? Because they don't do that out of a legitimate motive. Why? Because they're not willing to lay it down. You show me a president who's willing to lay his life down for the sake then of the people, I might follow him. But then, even then, he'd have to be of Jesus. Because that's the Antichrist. He's going to look the part, he's going to sound the part, He's the Antichrist. It's the Antichrist now. It's Satan. It's Bilal. It's Jezebel, who Ahab married because they're compatible. It's Benadad, who Ahab spared because they're compatible. They have the same motive. They're not even attempting to be a person after God's own heart. Verse 36. Then said he unto him, Because thou hast not obeyed the voice of the Lord. What voice? God's Holy Spirit speaking even so to them in the Old Testament. Not that we would then be sanctified so that he could dwell in us through that sacrifice of Christ. And the living word, word manifests living word. And what is it that makes word, living word, Old Testament, all the ideals, the aspiration, the nobility, the high order thinking of the Old Testament? If I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is, if I'm willing to do the same thing that I'm asking you to do, then possibly so, As with grace, mercy, and forgiveness, it's not for political gain. It's not for Dave Clay preservation. It's because I'm going to do that for you. But who knows that man? And then I am David, King David. Is there a righteous man to be found? Obviously not until Jesus comes. Then said he unto him, again, repeat verse 36, at least the first half of it. Because thou hast not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as thou art departed from me, a lion shall slay thee. Does Jesus kill? No. Is Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah? Yes. Is Jesus this lion of Judah? Maybe. Because in the same sort of a way, it was not a fully cooked awareness insight they were starting to get glimpses the insight was coming to them in again that dimension of time that's part of the sanctification the word was having its effect god was pointing out it's not just you knowing the word it's not even you knowing my word or promise unto you it's you living it in the same way that i'm telling you to live it as with again moses the glory of the lord Moses hidden in the cleft of the rock, because even he could not see fully the glory of the Lord, because he could only see the hinder parts. Ahab was nowhere near Moses. Ahab certainly wasn't near anywhere near Abraham. Ahab was not near David. Ahab probably was lesser than Benadad. In Benad's. he wasn't pretending to be anything. He was a drunk. Was drinking and partying, and he was a good politician. But Ahab kind of pretended to be something more. I say kind of, if only because how could you miss, again, the lion, cheating, and stealing? But I suppose within all of that, where we find the Hebrew people and all that their legacy had been, even so, God's promise of preservation, they too were <laughs> being walled into being asleep. They were being lied to, and it was systematic. It was no different than the devil Satan lying to Eve in the garden, or as he's continued to distort and corrupt the word. But there's just enough word in it to make you feel like, oh, well, we've got, he's got us covered. Until, obviously, you find out, well, I've done it wrong. But even then, I don't think God punishes us so much with the material things of life. It's just when you realize if your vessel is not sanctified, if your motive is not pure, if you're not of the Holy Spirit, if you've not laid down your life to God in Christ Jesus, you're going to be despondent in duress or under duress and miserable or under that duress, miserable, angry, Bitter, And you're going to take matters into your own hands. And you're going to say, who cares? It's only about me. Save me. Don't save anyone else. So, a lion shall slay thee. And as soon as he was departed from him, a lion found him and slew him. Jesus does the same thing. He just points out. It's, you're not a Christ. You've got nowhere to hide in comparison just how rotten your motive really is. I say rotten, stench, as with whitewashed sepulchers, Christ speaking of the Pharisees, even so the Sadducees, the scribes, they're like whitewash sepulchers, the stench of rotten, rotting bones, flesh inside. And that was Ahab. And Ahab, being the worst, the third time, the worst king ever, he showed how bad he stunk. Then he found another man and said, smite me, I pray thee. And the man smote him so that in smiting, he wounded him. Now, who did he have to get to do this I don't know that it necessarily said as it said earlier in verse 35 his neighbor now maybe that he was sons of the prophet maybe he's just genuinely his neighbor this other man may have been a heathen (laughs) maybe he was a -a Benadad type and with that he didn't care he wasn't putting on pretense pretending to be something he wasn't he went ahead and smote him the Romans crucified Christ. Did they crucify Christ out of anything more than political? No, it was all political. Did they have any conscience about it? No, probably not. Not in the same way that we would see conscience in the Holy Spirit. So it was bad that they did that. It's certainly bad that this another man hit the prophet... And who's the prophet again? A bit of a Jesus type. I'm not going to say he was Jesus. But it's the vibe. It's, It's the real motive. It's the real heart of God being manifest. It is Holy Spirit being manifest. So yes, I suppose. As much occurring before Christ came. He was part of that. As with time and material manifestation to come. But. This is kind of foretelling, prophetically, Jesus. And it wasn't a Hebrew person. It wasn't anyone that had a relationship with God, possibly. As much as at that point it could have been a Samaritan, who were considered by the Hebrew people to be lesser. It could have been a Syrian, who certainly by the Hebrew people were a lot lesser. It's all transactional. It's all position place it's like again preservation of the hierarchy leading right up to again the kings and all those individuals that wear the royal robes and who you serve in a material sort of way and god warned the people you get saul through samuel this is what you're going to get but he was wounded and even so is jesus though he died death, was buried, three days, nonetheless was only wounded and with resurrection power came back in spirit. Now the Antichrist, the beast, is wounded too in the book of Revelation and the two great witnesses, whomever you think they may or may not be, they were there as with that same sort of effect of wounding. But they came back to life. And whether you consider that to be Elijah, who went up with, as in a whirlwind of fire, possibly Enoch, who was translated, maybe it was just even so. Prefigurement of the transfiguration of Christ and Christ being resurrected in a resurrected body and spirit. That's the true resurrection. The other is, paying the price for admission but you don't get to see the game (laughs) or you get really upset because all those people who didn't seem to pay the price they get to see it Why? Because God can do a whole lot more with them than he could do with all of those that were invited to the wedding (laughs) and go out into the streets, bring them all in because they're going to do better. He didn't say, don't let the Hebrew people in. He just said, they're going to rejoice even more so. Why? Why? The price was paid, but it wasn't paid specifically by them, and it certainly wasn't paid in transactional terms, but nonetheless, they'd already lost it all. (laughs) They'd already given up any of this sort of false sort of ambition or hope to be anything more than what they were. Now, is that to their credit? No, they really didn't have a chance. But it is to God's credit and the fact that God can work with those folks even as he worked with Benadad probably more so than he did Ahab because Benadad really understood grace and mercy better than Ahab. How do I know? Because he went to Ahab with that thought in mind. Maybe too. He knew his brothers were more the politician thing. Brothers were more, well, you know, don't come and take my house i'm not gonna come take yours uh it's a reset uh we're all It might look like there's two sides to this but but there really isn't we're all the same with the same selfish motive driving our decisions no matter what we say it's good cop bad cop kind of stuff so the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way and disguised himself with ashes upon his face They didn't recognize him. Smitten of God, Isaiah says. The suffering servant, unrecognizable. He was so beaten, you couldn't discern him. So too would have been as was with that prophecy. So too would then be, not would have been, but would then be Jesus. By the time that the heathen beat him up and the Romans beat him up. You couldn't even recognize his countenance. They didn't see him before. But should there have been any sort of mistaken sort of connection here to what they had done, God was still revealing in Christ the error that was then turned iniquity out of disobedience, out of rebellion because they did not want to admit they weren't concerned at all about anybody but themselves. They all had aspirations, but again, honor among thieves, they would have like the Tower of Babel. They would have gotten along much better had Jesus never been there, simply because, in a material way, simply because they knew how to kind of grease the palm. They knew how to do all the wrangling, the backroom deals. And as the king passed by, he cried unto the king, this is the prophet, and he said, Thy servant went out into the midst of the battle. And certainly that's what Jesus did, did he not? Took it to the devil. Took it to Belal. Took it to the synagogue of Satan. Took it to all of those that were in political power. And made them very, very angry and again bitter. Because he was showing them for what they really were. How do we know that? Because even as he was worthy of being king, even politically, he was more worthy of being Lord and Savior because he laid down his life for us. Are we called to that? I think so. There's no room in the Bible for self-preservation. There is none. And all those things that come out of that, that are constructs of the human soul, the human dimension, which therein is the iniquity of humanity found. Thy servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a man turned aside, the lost sheep, (laughs) the 99 that were left to chase after the one, Jesus came to save you. It sounds a bit narcissistic, doesn't it selfish? If you were to say that, and as I might say it, Jesus came to save me, you could say the same thing. Well, how narcissistic. But I know that because Jesus came to save you, but he didn't save me At the expense of you, he saved me so that I might then help save or at least in a redemption sort of way, in a material way, I could do this very thing that Ahab can't do. I could lay my life down for you. I could enter into Christ. I could enter in worthily to communion. I could enter into his suffering even as he's entered into mine. I could understand the heathen don't understand this, don't know this. But I am a child of God. I am of the house of... (laughs) I want to say Judah. But Judah was no better than Israel. I am of the house of God. But it wasn't a people. And that's true. Ahab had that right. It wasn't just about even the people it was about the very people that Benadad represented, the Romans represented. It's hard when you think of it that way to lay down your life. It's hard when you think of it that way to not take up arms. It's hard when you think of it that way not to want to go and enforce or put your will upon others. And in that sense, Ahab was right. It's all Antichrist, right? Because the motive's not good. But Ahab was right too. Why all of this? It's like, um, it would be better that all should die, that one should die, rather than all the high priest had declared that. Caiaphas, I believe, that had declared all that when they were trying to figure out what to do with Jesus in the same sort of a way. Politics, all the worldly wise, all those that knew and understood transactionally what was at stake and what the heritage was and what the people would tolerate and what the people wouldn't tolerate. But they didn't count on, again, the fact that Jesus was only going to be wounded because he was going to eventually be resurrected. But the prophet was showing this already. In Kings, what was to come in the New Testament, and particularly the Gospels. Thy servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a man turned aside and brought a man unto me and said, Keep this man, if by any means he be missing. Then shall thy life be for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. Now, did Jesus lose anyone? No. But this was all made up. The prophet had really not done this. Was he lying to Ahab? No. But what he was doing was, I think, in that same sort of a way, saying, you think that you're the one, as with Ahab, and you think you're of self-righteous dimension righteousness. You think because you know the law. You think because eye for eye, tooth for a tooth. That's going to save anyone. You think then you're covered by God. You think the promise of God is... This is all Old Testament stuff to the Hebrew people. Abrahamic Abraham, Abrahamic covenant. You think... No. That's only to let you know that there is a beginning point, at least to the establishment of right and wrong... But God did that not to justify the wrong. He did that so that we might see the wrong. And in that, we can be sanctified by the word that would then redirect us with awareness and insight to a better way. A better covenant. A better testament. It's called the New Testament. And it is Jesus. And you're laying down your life for the heathen. And even your neighbors who who may be self-proclaimed or may be still in their immaturity as much Christian. But turn the other cheek. You have to or you're going to be guilty of the very same thing that killed Christ. You're going to be guilty of the very same thing that, again, Ahab did, which I don't want to do. And what did he do? As And as thy servant was busy here and there, he was gone. This is that man. And the king of Israel said unto him, So shall thy judgment be. Jesus, you lost them all, didn't you? You got killed. We crucified you. It didn't work, did it, Jesus? This turning the other cheek doesn't work. Dying to somebody else doesn't work. It's over. There's no testimony in that. Don't you know this is going to continue? It's not going to change. Nothing's going to change. We need to preserve ourselves. As with, again, self-righteousness. We need to cover ourselves. Even if we say things like grace and mercy, we really don't mean it. Or there's always that eye for eye, tooth for tooth, Old Testament. Him the covenant we're going to fall back on. Verse 41. And he hasted and took the ashes away from his face. The prophet did. He revealed himself for who he was. And that king of Israel recognized him that he was of the prophets. The devil knows who Jesus is. The devil at this point knows that he didn't kill Christ. The devil knew that from the beginning, all those that follow after the devil are no less than just his minions. And with that, subject to in the same sort of a way, we too could be, if we don't know Jesus and the truth and the life, the one way out of the right motive, that is our salvation. We can fall prey to this deception. The devil is cunning. The devil is a good liar. The devil looks (laughs) the lion as a roaring lion. It's a counterfeit. It's that antichrist looking to whom he may devour. No, God doesn't devour you. But if you subject yourself to the lion, what you find is if you go the way, the lion doesn't eat you. What the lion does is the lion establishes the fact that God is not entertaining at all the proposition of your destruction, especially on a soul level, and especially as it might represent Holy Spirit. But what he needs you to understand is you've got to have the motive right because that's the great divide. And if you don't, you end up in hell. You can experience that now, rich man, And Lazarus, you could say, well, just send somebody to tell them. I see over across the Great Divide, I see Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. Oh, I thought it was all this other stuff. No, rich man. You thought you could get away with stealing God's resource, his love, or stealing God's children, his creation, for your own gain. You could exploit them. You could use them for profiteering. And you could do that in the name of world peace, world order. You could do that with the intention of saving the world. No, you're nothing but the Antichrist, rich man. But I'm going to let you see it, and Jesus is going to one day tell about it. You're going to look across that divide and you're going to say, how do I get there? And Jesus is going to say, it's too late. Because the time to get there is not when you're dead and you're there. Hell. But if you want to get there on the other side, the time to do it is while you're still alive. While you can lay down your life. While you can show Jesus. If you don't do it out of that spirit, out of love... You have no place with not only Jesus now. You can't enter into communion. You can't enter into his suffering in that way. You can't be said to have the heart, the mind of God in Christ and the heart. The Holy Spirit won't be with you. It'll all be pretense. You'll be nothing better. A shell of a person, Sadducee, Pharisee, whitewashed sepulchers, rotten, rotting and rotten, the stench of death in you. And there'll be no way out once you cross over. Not the divide. But you leave this life. Because in the end, it's not about this life. In the end, it's about what you do with this life. Verse 42. And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction. Therefore... Thy life shall go for his life, and thy people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house, resentful and displeased, and came to Samaria. Ahab knew. Ahab knew before all of this that I read you. Ahab knew. Ahab encountered Jesus that day. It wasn't Jesus materially because the Christ had yet to come in material, full material manifestation. The awareness as within materialized into word as in then living word had yet to come again. Even as God created Adam out of word, Jesus comes a second time to breathe the Holy Spirit into us or life into these dry bones. Ezekiel, Ahab Do you know? <laughs> That's what the podcast is about. Do you know? Are you willing to do more than just say the words? Are you willing to show it, demonstrate it? Are you going to live a life of hypocrisy? Are you going to live a life of false pretense? Are you going to be a king And in your kingdom sort of way, exploit everyone else. Take advantage of the resources. The devil can't create anything. That's the false narrative on that, his narrative. He doesn't create anything. He takes your stuff, even again. Samuel told Saul and the people, or people about Saul. He takes your stuff, and he claims it for his own. He's he's the master politician. It's no wonder that in the book of Revelation, the Antichrist is a politician, a world leader, the star chamber, the United Nations, whatever it is. I've got to be careful because if I go too far that way, I'll lose some listeners because some people still believe in those things and I don't want to take anything away from your belief. I just want you to be aware this is as old and ancient as any human history the devil doesn't change. He's doing it today. Don't be lulled to sleep on the watchtower. Don't find the oil. <laughs> maids, Maidens, run out in your laps. Don't miss the wedding feast of the lamb. It's here. It's here. It's a clarion call. I can hear whatever the horn might be to let us know. It's time to... It's time for the bride to come back and claim her, uh, for the groom to come back and claim his bride, the church. It's time. But it's the same thing that I'm reading with Ahab. It was over. God said, it's over, Ahab. You got on my last nerve and here you go. It doesn't mean that God's going to destroy his people. It just means that his people, as most of us who go to hell, or would go to hell, I'm not going, but most who would go to hell of us, we do that on our own choosing. We condemn ourselves. God doesn't. He gives us not only warnings, but he gives us Jesus. He paid paid the price. So even if you did pay the price, don't worry about it. It's going to cost to get in the game. It's just, if you don't have it, it's not going to keep you out of the game. (laughs) If you don't have it, God's going to go ahead and buy the ticket for you. If you have it, he's going to give you Jesus. But you're not going to get in, even if you do have it. Especially if you have it and you just use it for yourself. And it's not the money, the rich man (laughs) who otherwise, a rich young ruler who otherwise, tell me what I need to do. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow after me, Jesus says. We have that opportunity in this country. (laughs) He's speaking to us folks. Not all of us, but those people who are in a position of power and on a world stage, we are those people. What are we going to do with it? We aren't doing it now. And don't think for a minute the rest of the world can't see the testimony. The rest of the world knows the king has no clothes. The rest of the world knows it's an Ahab spirit. The rest of the world knows it's all about Jezebel. The rest of the world knows it's all about politics. We're coming across as hypocrites. (laughs) Not the church. I'm not speaking to the church. I want the church to be sanctified. And the blood of the Lamb by the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I want righteousness to be served because I can, in that now, see the second coming of Jesus. I see it. I believe you see it too. <laughs> Somebody says this stuff in this way. And the Holy Spirit is bearing witness, conviction. You can see it. This is where the altar call comes in and people are said, but you have to still... Get up out of your seat and come forward. You have to still take that first step. You have to still, I'm not doing an altar call. But it's the same thing Ahab did not heed the altar call. And he continued in his evil ways. And God had pronounced judgment. And he'd fallen into apostasy. And he'd taken his hand off the plow, all those things that we know from the word. And he was not going to be redeemed. His heart had become so hardened and calloused. Maybe it was anger. Maybe it's just, again, sociopathically, he lost his heart. But there was no bringing him back in the same sort of way. There's no bringing the devil back. If you go far enough, you can't come back. Even if you're still alive, you're not going to have a deathbed confession. It's just not going to happen. Don't run that risk. You may. Be one of those that does and gets in the game at the end of the game. Don't. Do it now. Pay the ticket price now. Show up with everyone. Yes, you had to pay it. But you get to see the whole game. <laughs> you just don't get to see the end. But I can tell you, it's an exciting ending and we win. The whole team wins. And don't we all love that? So this is the moment in... The podcast where I usually try to consolidate and apply to counseling, and really the application is—I do the same thing in counseling. <laughs> what is covenant specialized pastoral counselors? Pa- what is covenant specialized pastoral care services? Christian counseling. My mouth is going faster than my brain, or my brain faster than my mouth. This is what we do, though. We just set the right context, and then let the Holy Spirit do. The work of sanctification and guidance and leading and direction. But you've got to be more than a hypocrite. You've got to be more than the devil. You've got to be more than Ahab. You don't have to be perfect. That's not what we're saying. But your heart, you have to at least be as David was, a man after God's own heart. Otherwise, you don't give God anything to work with. And God doesn't condemn you in that because of the hardening of your heart you've condemned yourself. We do that in counseling. Should you want to counsel with us, call us, 304-528-9220, covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com, at Covenants on Facebook and YouTube, and covenantsonline.com. And of course, you can always come back for the next edition of what is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay. Google that. That's how you'll find us. Or a.k.a. Dave Clay. In the meantime, God bless and indeed thank you.